We'll give all kinds of allowances to those who are naturally gifted, if they're talented, if they're impressive, if they're good looking, if they're gregarious, if they're charismatic. Um, I think we tend to uh, abandon checks and, and balances uh, in some of that accountability language we were talking about earlier. When someone is dynamic, this is someone that we want to follow. Welcome to Tesserive. I'm Bob Stevenson. And I'm Steve Cartwright. Thanks for joining us as we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways it has been dismantled. This podcast is built on the idea that integrity matters, that we've been fragmented and fractured in so many different ways because of sin, but in Christ, we are enabled to find and pursue wholeness. Now, this isn't just an individual or a psychological reality, as our conversations about race have made clear. We're really aiming for social integrity along with personal integrity. But as we wrap up our first season, we do want to touch on one critical area, integrity in Christian leadership. And before we jump in as two male co-hosts that hopefully you've been listening to for a little while, I've been reflecting on something that I think this is as good a time as, as any to discuss. Uh, and that is uh, the fact that we haven't had any women on our podcast yet. That is something that during the formation of this show, as we're planning, is definitely something that we wanted to have an equal amount of voices, um, not simply to talk into uh, uh, specific ways um, that we wanted women's voices a part of the conversation, um, like common ones like sexuality and gender. We obviously need the other side, if you will, but just because we'd be missing half of the population. And engaging um, from a place of not enough information, and so that's something that personally I recognize as a failure for this for this podcast. And going into season two, it's something that we look forward to remedying. I don't mean necessarily a moral failure or something that we were aiming to do. And Bob and I were actually talking about this because we were like, uh, we did want to have women on. We did identify, and we we invited three um, three women to join us, and we're still hopeful that they will. But it was just scheduling and timing conflicts just didn't work out. But then we thought we could also hide behind that. I could also just say, well, we handled the quote. At least we reached out to a certain amount of people. Unfortunately, we just couldn't make it happen. But I'm not satisfied with that. And so whether you are a male who's been listening and you've been enjoying enjoying, or you are a woman who has been listening and enjoying or not enjoying because of the lack um, of women's voices, um, I want you to know that we're we're aiming to do that better in season two. And uh, I think that'll make us better, but also it will uh, contribute to us working better um, within the body of Christ. So with that being said, now let's jump in as two men talking about Christian leadership. Well, building on the idea of integrity and transparency, uh, as we've tried to model to a degree just now even, uh, we want to ask, why integrity and in leadership? Why are we concerned about wholeness of leaders? Well, Steve and I have watched with growing concern uh, over the past few years and with growing alarm as we've read our history books um, at the number of Christian leaders who uh, fail spectacularly, torpedo themselves in their ministries as it becomes evident um, that there's a lack of integrity, a lack of consistency in their lives, as allegations and evidence of abuse uh, surface, sexual indiscretions and sexual uh, harassment or abuse, of abuses of power, of, uh, of, of, of character that was really just a show, but there was nothing there at all. And we've watched not only with growing concern that 
that leaders have fallen, that leaders have exposed themselves to be hollow or inconsistent. But we've also watched with growing concern as people we know and love also watch these leaders torpedo and start to question things, question all that they knew. After all, if these prominent uh, pastors and teachers and ministry leaders are uh, have been these trusted voices of truth and yet are now exposing themselves to be something else, what does that say about the message that they were proclaiming? So we see this as a really critical topic that we need to address in all forms of leadership, particularly within the church. And in talking about leadership in the church, probably the way that I've been thinking about it the most lately has been regarding the late Dr. Ravi Zacharias. And I've thought for a couple of weeks, I didn't know whether I wanted to talk about this on here, but I I think that I feel confident that this isn't opportunistic or just trying to uh, drag someone's name in the mud. It really is out of a place of trying to respect everyone involved, but trying to understand uh, because this has touched a lot of people in the church. So if you are not familiar with Dr. Ravi Zacharias, um, he passed away last year. And he is, I don't think it's unfair to say that he was probably the the foremost Christian apologist in the world. Um, and an, an incredible man of God as we saw him for a long time. And his sound clips and his reason and his, his grace um, impacted people literally all over the world. And that one of those people was me. I grew up uh, in a Christian home, and it was not uncommon for Dr. Ravi Zacharias's uh, name and voice to be on the radio in our cars in our home. And I got a chance to meet him in college, and he was incredibly gracious and took a picture with me and gave me a little encouraging word before he had to rush off to catch a flight. So I had this great opinion of him for the longest time, and then I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, some information came out around some inappropriate pictures that he was involved with and couldn't really get details. It was really, it was really vague and really weird. And then eventually he kind of released a statement and it was a kind of about, uh, I didn't send any pictures and I didn't do anything wrong, but I was sent these inappropriate messages and I should have told my wife. And because of that, I was wrong. So I sort of, he repented of that. And that was kind of a safe repentance, right? People could be like, Oh, I I see that you you didn't, you didn't maybe like do all that you were supposed to do, but at least you didn't do anything morally wrong in this standpoint. So part of me wanted to let that go. And there was another part of me that was like, it just sounds weird, but we don't have enough info, but I guess we'll kind of have to let it go. Uh, And so that was kind of where it was at. And then more allegations came out. And um, this woman came forward eventually with her story and how the situation and the treatment of how the, the ministry attempted to silence her, but also how she just wasn't believed and how that nearly destroyed her family and just how the abuse really took its toll on her because he was a person of such influence and power. And so I saw the impact on her in reading her statement. And eventually, uh, RZIM, the ministry, um, Ravi Zacharias's ministry, started an, an external investigation um, to determine the validity of a lot of these claims. And so once that investigation was complete, it was kind of clear from their perspective that not only sexual indiscretion, but sexual abuse and abuse of power had taken place at the hands of Dr. Ravi Zacharias with numerous women. And, um, and that was heartbreaking to, to hear. 
and and I'm not even a family member or someone who knew him so deeply. And so that really hit me. And so I really want to learn from that. But I also just want to lament that reality. I want to lament the fact that we have such unhealthy standards for our leaders, not just the popular ones, but definitely the popular ones, but the ones who have the most power and influence and in that we we gravitate to their words and their ability so much um, to the point where it becomes unhealthy, unhealthy for them and probably unhealthy for us. And so I've wrestled with what redemption would look like if he was alive. Um, what would that have what would that have looked like? Would we have canceled him? Uh, would we have given him the chance to repent and then he would have been removed from the ministry? What would we have done? All those kind of things kind of kind of come to mind. But a big thing that comes to mind is, well, I guess two things. One, the statement. RZIM eventually released a statement that was filled with repentance, repentance over how they didn't believe the victims, how they didn't, they turned the other way. They didn't do what was right. The posture is correct in that statement. I just lament that it came so late. And now that we see, now that we see, well, now that you see so much more damage has been done, so much more of the sin has been compounded by the lack of action, the silence, the covering up, those kinds of things. So uh, I lament mostly for the treatment of the victims, uh, almost like being victimized twice and trying to figure out where to go from there. And then the second question is around accountability. Who held Dr. Ravi Zacharias accountable? Who could have held Dr. Ravi Zacharias accountable? Who could say that, hey, I know you're traveling across this country to this country and you're talking to thousands of people, but uh, how is your walk with Christ going personally? How is your relationship with your wife going? Uh, where, what does sexual purity look like for you? Who would have even been able to do that? You know, so accountability just kind of comes to my mind when we're thinking about leadership. Well, and I, I want to jump in here because I think there's another important piece Accountability as a concept sounds really good, and it, it is. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's not, but um, about to say we, this is the last episode we're about to have our first fight, Bob. Yeah, no. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. Uh, it is really good, but I've been a part of enough, like as a pastor, of like trying to hold folks accountable, um, and 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 watching them like circumvent those accountability mechanisms, um, mm-hmm. or um, I've seen enough pastors who have. Uh, been fired because of malpractice. Mm-hmm. And later on, you come to realize like there was uh, sort of a superficial accountability, but not really because they mobilized certain individuals who are very sympathetic to them to be on their elder um, board or, or whatever. And so the idea of accountability is good, but the execution of it is really challenging. And, and I, I would argue that it needs to come from the leader themselves. Like the the leader needs Mm. to be initiating and transparently pushing accountability of his or herself. Now, Mm. I, I, you know, here we are, right. We're talking about this. And, and, and of course it seems idealistic almost to say like, well, Ravi should have done that or or fill in the blank, whoever, whatever Christian Mm -hmm. leader should have done that. But I, I think what it should do is it should start red flagging leaders who refuse to live with that kind of transparency. And, mm. and, and we, we've gotten very used to giving um, very, quote, successful leaders uh, kind of a, a lot of latitude. Uh, you know, we, we've really bought into celebrity culture in a lot of ways. Um, and so big name pastor, big name ministry leader with a global ministry, this or that, like we've kind of gotten used to saying, well, like, you know, their life is hard. They have, they're doing a lot of good things for Jesus. And so like, we're not going to um, expect that much out of them. 
but I, I think it should flag. I think it should absolutely flag a pastor or a leader who's unwilling to initiate and really transparently persist in an accountable relationship. That's well said. And I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I've actually heard this before, heard like the idea that you can't hold somebody accountable for what they don't tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's absolutely true. It's really hard to create a culture, though. You know, sometimes we have really charismatic individuals who through their God-given abilities, which actually we'll get into a little bit later on, but they're able to help create, help like be a primary driver in creating a culture. But even then there's others that have to speak to that, you know, have to compassionately be like, I know you're busy. I know you are our leader who is doing this and that, but you have to have this. And I'm not seeing this accountability. You know, it seems like both of them need to happen. And I see it kind of like now in retrospect, we're trying to salvage this situation. You know, we're trying to um, uh, not see the, the gospel itself as tainted, but the fact that the gospel was coming from someone who was doing such horrendous things uh, can be hard. We don't want to unfairly judge. We don't want to assume. We don't want to act like we know the situation or like we couldn't do the same thing. But the reality is it feels like we're trying to salvage. Not There's so much kind of like a, you know, it's a wreckage and we're trying to to find out, well, A, what happened here and what can we pull out of here that's helpful for the future? And unfortunately, like many wreckage sites, it feels like the victims get lost in that pursuit. Oh, absolutely. You know, so it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I think this dovetails into like, so in, integrity really has to do with character. I mean, this in, integrity will happen. A wholeness will happen when um, the Christian has authentic character through and through when there's nothing to hide. I mean, my goodness, this is why in the biblical requirements for an elder, it's like be without reproach. Um, and there's all these, these character requirements, not performance requirements, or just a few actually performance requirements, which is really interesting. Um, and yet we have a systemic character problem, don't we, in American evangelicalism? Like in a lot of ways, we've uh, abdicated from uh, seeing character mm. as an essential part of leadership. You know, I think all of us would say, especially like for pastors and ministry leaders, we'd say, no, nah, no, nah, character still matters. But what did we see? I'm going to, I'm going to jump into this for a second here, Steve. Like what did we see back in 16 and in 20, we saw a whole mess of evangelical leaders uh, publicly support a president, presidential candidate whose character was off the charts bad and yet relativize it for the sake of power. And Mm. when pressed on that, basically say, well, policy, (laughs) you know, like that's what really matters. But the fact that evangelical leaders who are supposed to be so concerned with the heart and with integrity so easily discarded character as an essential feature for the president of the United States, I think that points to a larger systemic problem in the way that we think of power and the way that we think of leadership. And of course, that's going to manifest in Christian leadership as well. Wow. I First of all, I just got to pinpoint one thing. Abdication is a great word. I literally always use it when I'm talking about male sexuality with students or um, talking about it in that realm. And how I use it, I think is pretty similar in this case. I think about the abdication of responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
it's so fascinating to me that, you know, we've been talking particularly about failures along sexual lines. There's tons of failures that people have to speak into. And I would hope that no one would assume that because we're talking about this in a direct way that we are immune to failure or consider ourselves immune to failure um, and sin. Um, but this abdication of responsibility, never have I seen the human male rendered so useless, so absolved of such responsibility than when speaking of his or another male's sexual appetite. Yeah. Kind of this idea of boys will be boys. Um, you can, you can even if you have a very traditional idea of what masculinity is and you're like, men, you need to overcome, you need to push through all, uh, all, all obstacles and you can overcome and do all these things either in a, a secular or Christian context. That's a picture often of what a man is, a man overcomes until it comes to sexual temptation. Then it comes down to, well, what was that person wearing? What did they do to entice you? Uh, you, you, you? You tried, but it's just so natural. And as a society, we really have, we really have done that to the point where uh, pornography is, is a norm, particularly for males, even though men are not the only ones that struggle with it. But we have this kind of abdic abdication of responsibility, you know, right. where we just or like, I can't do anything about that. And I think that particularly has cost us. And the realm of sexuality is particularly interesting because you could make the argument that in that vulnerable state of um, of sexual activity, you are at your most vulnerable point, physically and emotionally, uh, even spiritually, you are extremely vulnerable at this point. And so in some ways you are your truest self, you know, and uh and so many times in that truest state, we have leaders both in and out of the church who have failed. And I think that's part of why this podcast exists, not to point fingers, but to learn and to uh, hold each other accountable uh, in a way that's actually going to, to help us be God honoring and protective of those who are, are under our leadership. Well, and there's a lot of relevance to that very thing right now. I mean, a lot of the conversations, and I know that we're still, there's still investigation and we're still trying to figure it out, but this, you know, the shooting in Atlanta with this uh, dude who walked in and killed um, several uh, women, uh, several Asian yeah. women. And this, yeah. the the thing that he said was, I'm just trying to eliminate temptation um, or, or something to that effect. And of course, you know, what did he mean by that? You know, all, all this, but it's generated this deluge of conversation about male sexuality and the, uh, the temptress, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've read, have you read, uh, Dumez's Jesus and John Wayne? I have not. Okay. So it's a fascinating, fascinating history book. But one of the things that she points out is that a lot of evangelical writing on sexuality, particularly in like the, I think seventies and eighties and nineties, um, really did sort of accent this idea that like male sexuality, yeah, you know, it's going to be tough and you kind of let it have almost a boys will be boys kind of approach focusing on the, the, the importance of um, modesty for women in, in kind of keeping men from falling. Now we can certainly talk about like modesty from a biblical perspective, but the notion reinforcing the notion that like dudes don't have self-control uh, and that's okay. Uh, th that it's creating <laughs> that that is feeding into all these problems that we're seeing. Like you said, if when we are our most transparent, we show ourselves to be lacking in the f virtue and fortitude to do what is right, hmm. and we blame it on well, 
you know, I have no self-control. I mean, that, that, that is a massive problem, which comes back to this idea of character. Um, if we're not actually developing and, and treasuring and prioritizing a heart um, that is whole through and through, that follows Jesus in the spotlight and follows Jesus in the bedroom, that follows Jesus when there's a book deal and follows Jesus when it's just me and you in a room having a conversation. Am I going to be mm-hmm. treating you with honor and respect or will I treat you, uh, will, will my you know, true self be exposed in a way that's really horrifying? Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. And I want to get through, I want to get to thinking about leadership in a different way. But because you brought up the shooting, we're going to address that in another episode in season two. But I think that even on my campus alone, I've seen just the impact uh, that that has had on so many different people for so many different reasons, but particularly my Asian and Asian American brothers and sisters. Um, that has been we're, we're getting lost already. The, the the shooting's only a week old and we're getting lost in the debate of it all. And the, we want to jump right to gun control or protecting our gun rights. We want to get to why this wasn't racist or we want to call it out as a beacon of racism. There are tons of different things to do and address, um, but we can't miss the opportunity to lament. And we also can't lose the opportunity to not <laughs> to not get distracted here, to not get distracted and already realize that this was already racial in nature. We had a a uh, a man who claimed to be a Christian, a white male who claimed to be a Christian and targeted Asian women. Um, that's that's the establishment, the establishments that he went to, you know, and killed mostly Asian individuals. Right. So it's already racial. It's already sexual. It already has to do with Christian nationalism. Um, and so there's just there's so much there to unpack. And uh, we, we can't, we're not going to do it here, but I just want, I guess if you're listening to this ahead of time, I want you to know that um, particularly if that, that it's hit to you radar. personally, that we're, uh, it's on our radar and we're also, we're praying for you and praying with you. Um, I think I want to talk through like survival <laughs> and how like a leader kind of makes it in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Bob, because uh, it seems like, you know, we've been talking about a little bit about what it means to be famous. Obviously, uh, the person that we mentioned at the beginning was very well known in many circles. Well, and but you I feel and like speaking out of you know fame ourselves, we totally get that. Oh, of course, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, it's 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 big. You know, we've uh, we've got quite a few I mean, downloads. I don't know if you know it, but we, yeah, I think sixty or something, man. A <laughs> uh, little over fifteen hundred, actually. But okay, I, but okay. I but I see your point. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, it feels like leaders can survive through talent, through accomplishments, through status in a very, very unique way. Uh, we'll give all kinds of allowances to those who are naturally gifted, if they're talented, if they're impressive, if they're good looking, if they're gregarious, if they're charismatic. Um, I think we tend to uh, abandon checks and, and balances uh, in some of that accountability language we were talking about earlier. Okay, when but- someone is dynamic, this is someone that we want to follow. But why? Why do we do that? Yeah. One reason, I think, I mean, there's a lot more. I don't know why you would put me on the spot and ask me that. But (laughs) there's multiple reasons why. But one that I might go with is this theory has been largely debunked now. But for quite a few years, I've been really interested in the great man theory. And I learned about it because uh, uh, actually in reading and 
being really interested in the Kennedy family over the years. So uh, JFK was um, known or thought to have been a proponent of this great man theory. And uh, this idea that every great leader, A, is male based on the name, um, sign of the times. And well, sign of the times, also just sign of sexism. But I digress. Every great leader has these traits and abilities to be able to lead well. And those traits are innate and they are built for a moment. So it takes a moment, whether it be a tragedy or a moment of greatness for that, uh, for those traits to rise up out of that person uh, and they can just do what needs to be done. That's what makes them great. And society is built on being on having great men to follow. And I think this this makes a lot of sense in an era of history that I'm always, I've always been fascinated by that age of of assassinations and the age of orators, um, the age of Kennedy in the 60s, uh, where media is not so invasive and so exposing um, so as to give all of society uh, a great amount of skepticism. We still believe in in our heroes. Um, our heroes are not dead yet. And when they do die, they are immortalized and made even more powerful. But we think about somebody like Kennedy or so many public figures during that time and since. Think about the fact that in retrospect, we look at them and they still have this status as great. But at the time, they just needed the ability to they needed money that helped. But they also needed certain abilities. Did they have a great voice? Did they have a booming voice? Did they have a great mind that could help you solve the problems and the ills of the day? If they could do those certain things, we would forego uh, their their need to live lives of integrity. We're not so so worried um, about Marilyn Monroe and her involvement with JFK or RFK uh, as long as uh, he helped us, as long as he helped us in the moment, as long as his legacy still speaks to uh, American exceptionalism and this great man theory, then we're a little bit okay with it. It's harder to do that now, not because we've wised up so much and we don't follow uh, wayward leaders, but more so because the media is more exposing than ever. Who is the media? They're kind of the world's boogeyman, or at least our country's boogeyman. It's like, if you don't like something, it's because the media did it, regardless of if it's a video that you could watch yourself. Um, but we just sort of look past some things in the past. And so now we're less willing to do that, but we're now skeptical about everything, you know? Um, so it's a lot that's happened, but I kind of do point to that theory and maybe actions, even if not it directly, actions that have come from it that have made us focus more on certain intangibles, certain things that we all just like and wish we could be, as opposed to uh, making it about sometimes the work and making it about the integrity of it all. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think uh, whether it's been debunked or not as a objective leadership tactic, functionally, I think that's certainly what we've still seen over and over again. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the genius um, or the um, mover and shaker who can get stuff done. We've seen this in our politics. We've seen this in our, in, in Christian spheres. Um, I think it's kind of interesting to take, take that, um, the idea of the exceptionally gifted, powerful leader um, and contrast it with what we see uh, in the New Testament, for example. I mean, so obviously Jesus is the supreme example of this. He um, literally is the most talented, most glorious, most powerful person um, on earth. And yet 
he um, washes his disciples' feet. Um, he he humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And um, <clears throat> it's it's really interesting in a passage like First uh, Peter five, where uh, Peter's addressing church leadership that. Coming back to a word you used earlier, it's very vulnerable, right? It's a church under fire. Um, and I think the people in the church were feeling very vulnerable because they were experiencing persecution. And so, like, you know, it's probably a lot of mistrust uh, of the leadership, a lot of concern. And so Peter is like, look, y'all need to follow Jesus and be a good shepherd. Y'all need to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and tend the sheep of God. And then he gives them these three like qualifiers. He says, don't do it out of compulsion because compulsion can lead to entitlement. And actually, this is something I think that uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias reportedly told some of his victims was like, I basically like deserve this because um, I do so much work for the kingdom of God. And, you know, it takes such a toll Mm. on me. Um, I'm sorry, like you're, you're, you're entitled to the rewards Jesus gives you, <laughs> um, which means, right, right. which means mm-hmm. you should serve willingly, um, not out of a sense of give me what I, what's due me. He says, not greedy for gain. And this can be money. Uh, and you know, there's that whole Instagram account, the, uh, the, the preachers and sneakers. You seen that one? Um, no, I also oh. don't have Instagram, but that's all right. But that might be why. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Yeah, Instagram is lame. Anyway, it's an account that um, uh, analyzes p- pictures of uh, prosperity preachers and stuff, and says, "Hey, those are five thousand dollars sneakers." And um, you know, so so you really? certainly have. Oh yeah, so you certainly have uh, pastors and and leaders who are in it for the money, but it can also be gained for like ego. I mean, mm-hmm. all of us are subject to that, right? Wanting to be recognized, wanting to get a platform. Uh, so Peter says, "Don't do that. Serve eagerly." Then he says, don't lord it over uh, your folks, but serve as examples. And like, oh man, here we go again, talking about leaders who are in it for the power, in it to exert their own authority rather than actually modeling first. So I'm I'm convinced that if more of our uh, leaders in evangelicalism like lived out 1 Peter 5, we'd see a lot less of this stuff. Because you can't, because you can't, you can't, sorry, uh, because you can't do that. You can't follow Jesus by serving willingly, eagerly, and as examples, um, Hmm. and have like super ulterior motives, right? And that comes back to this idea of integrity, of being just being who you are in public and private, doing it for Jesus and for the love of his people rather than for your own promotion, your own fame, your own recognition. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. And when I think about solutions, I think in general, we have to, the church has to stop trying to recast the part of savior. Hmm. And there's an obvious way in which that comes up. You know, we've been influenced very, I mean, we've even been influenced, uh, Hellenistically and how we think about deities and and their interaction with with humankind, but the way that you see this probably the most palpably has been with uh, cults in the U.S. Hmm. Uh, when a cult leader kind of takes over, it seems to be only a matter of time before they reach divine status. 
It's like initially and oftentimes they're, uh, you know, if you're like Jim Jones, initially they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are servants. And then the servant becomes might be might might uh, at some I don't know at what point you make that jump, but you jump from servant, you know, to maybe pastor to now your prophet uh, to now you are uh, you are one of the lone vessels who can receive from God in this way. And then eventually, somewhere along the line, that's the more murky part. We don't know the process over when you became divine, but at some <laughs> point, you suddenly became divine and you be- you transcended humanity, except for oftentimes, except for uh, sexual activity. You were still quite human in that way. But again, I digress. But so that's a really obvious way in which we see like the the message, the life of Christ trying to be uh, duplicated. Um, but not in a servant or disciple type of way, but in a, I want to play that role as opposed to Lecrae's in the background. So I think that happens very, that's very overt, but a much more covert way that I think we see it is again, through our leaders who have the ability to lead in a certain dynamic way um, or just have something amazing to say. And they have a revelation um, that of its own can be great, but it doesn't have, it doesn't. It's not necessarily accompanied with checks and balances. It's not necessarily accompanied with a humility uh, that you can only have from on high. And if you have that humility, it's going to be impossible to eventually claim your divinity. But it's also going to be really hard to lose your focus, even while you're saying things that God says. You know, how, how is it that you could be you could become distracted with riches? in the midst of like preaching for justice? How is it that you could become distracted with how many times you get retweeted or reliked or, or, or you get your post shared, um, you get a certain status? How is it that you lose your focus when the very thing that made you famous are the words that you're saying about Christ? And um, so I, I think in that way, I mean that very genuinely, like in my own life to be like, I want to be, I have ambition. I have desires and I have things that I want to be, want to do, uh, but leaving those at the, leaving those in the background, committing myself to serving the main act and not ever getting to the point where now I have reached that level where I'm getting the attention. And now actually the message and the person who I came to proclaim, they're actually secondary, you know? So that's, that the, comes to I my mean, mind. It's gut-wrenching to think about, and I'm guilty of it, right? And I mean, like the idea of profiting off of Jesus or benefiting off of Jesus, because it's like we're, I mean, for lack of a better term, uh, we're prostituting the uh, <laughs> the glory that has changed us so that we can get something out of it. It's insane when you put it that way. And yet I think uh, it's so seductive and so easy, especially in quote professional Christian ministry, um, to do that. So this leads to a really practical question now, because we we don't want to leave folks with just suspicion. You know, like the the goal of this in talking about integrity and the ways that others have failed uh, to show integrity it isn't to have every church member like start to wonder about their pastor or. Um, you know, start to question every uh, nonprofit leader out there. Um, the The goal is is rather to pursue this together. But w- what are some signs that integrity is actually taking place? Like, how, how can we um, take heart, take encouragement? Uh, what are some things that we can look for to say, like, actually, I think I think this pastor or this leader um, is is doing it right. 
That's a great question. I'm sure I won't hit all the points, but one that seems important is, is there a path to transparency? Somebody can say that, like, I'm an open book or hold me accountable, but is there, whether formal or informal, and I would I would think both would be helpful in organizations and in churches, hmm. is there a path to give feedback, a path to hold somebody accountable that's already in place in the ministry, in the organization? You know, if you have questions, do you feel like you could go to leadership? Um, if if you had grievances, is there someone even other than just the person that you could talk with if that person didn't listen? You know, um, is there is there a way in? I, I think that that kind of comes to mind is something that's you've got to have as you're building up a culture or even if you're stepping into one that's existed before, um, because it not only has a practical value of being able to give feedback and correction, all those kinds of things, repentance, but it also demonstrates uh, that the person isn't perfect, that the person actually believes they're not perfect because they want to hear or assume that they're going to have some type of blind spot. So that comes to mind. And then probably because I work in student development, but, but development comes to mind and kind of a, from a two headed monster perspective. So one uh, do you develop yourself as a leader? If you have a, or does your leader develop themselves? Do they work on themselves? Do they, uh, you see them reading and considering, you see them uh, even reflecting on their past and in, in redeeming, but also in critical ways. You see them say, I wish I had done this better. Uh, I really learned a lot from this because I thought I was right and I ended up being wrong. If, if no one can give you examples of when they've ever been wrong, that is, wow, that is quite the, quite the repertoire. Um, that's quite the resume. So I think you should be able to see that you should see like a pursuit of development, both intellectually, but also spiritually in someone's walk. And then I think you should see a, a desire for uh, a desire from the leader to develop those that they're fo- that, that follow them. I think you should see uh, a book list. I think you should see just for example, um, I think you should see uh, a desire to be like, hey, I think your voice should be heard. Or what do you think? Or give me pushback on this. Um, uh, there are different types of leaders than different types of leadership models, but I think successful ones are never just one voice, you know? And so it's like, wow, this person cares enough to invest in me. So I appreciate them for that. But they also uh, believe in like the reality of the body of Christ being like not just one person enough to think that somebody else could contribute to this ministry, to this organization. So those yep. seem like practical things that I would want any leader to display if I was going to commit to following them as they follow Christ. Those are solid. And I think I'd add, um, we want to see consistency um, from the stage to uh, the small spaces. So if there's, um, if you get the opportunity to watch how a leader interacts, um, you know, kind of in, in a formal setting versus uh, in behind closed doors. That's a big thing. Some of the most profound um, interactions that I've seen is watching uh, men or women who are the real deal. You know, uh, it, it, it's moving and it's, it's, it's beautiful to see folks actually show up and be full of character. And related to that, I think apologies are really important. And I don't just mean the apologies like after being found out that they've done something terrible, but, um, in small things, 
uh, I don't think we apologize enough in culture when we do stupid things, when we mess up, when we take little missteps. Um, and a leader who says, you know what? I was wrong. Um, I, I was unkind or I spoke too soon or I assumed the worst of you. Um, that's, that's big because it shows a willingness, um, a desire rather to make things right. And a leader who never apologizes, uh, that can be another flag as well. And just like that, our first season of Tesserai is over. Thanks so much for those of you who have listened and engaged with us, who have asked us questions online, who have been listening to multiple episodes. We look forward to more voices, more amazing topics, and more opportunities to live lives of integrity. You can follow us as usual, online on Twitter or on Facebook at Tesserai Podcast. There you'll also find the ability to email us if you want to send us formal feedback. Uh, And we look forward till next time. So that's Bob. I'm Steve. This has been Tesserai. See you next time.